follow the salaries because they will usually dictate where the price growth is in real estate. Hello, hello, hello. This is Dominic Neshi. This is the Wealthy Podcast and I'm actually pretty pumped for this episode. We've got the great influential uh, Peter Escher, as um, some people like to call him, King Escher. Welcome to the podcast today and thank you for joining the show. Thank you, Dom. Hey, guys, it's really good to be with you. And uh, that was a very, very generous introduction. So thanks. No, no, not at all. So everybody out there, I want to ask you, I normally say it at the end, but you typically jump off by the end. But if you're enjoying what we're doing, please subscribe. It is incredibly helpful and it keeps you up to date with everything that we're doing. And um, I want to let you know that on this show, we're going to be talking about different property investment types for Many weeks we've been putting out there asking you all to give us questions and to let us know what you want to talk about. So today we're going to be talking about property investments, the different strategies, what they mean for you as an investor and why you might be choosing to pick an apartment over a house or a townhouse or why you should be looking at a one, two, three or four bedroom uh, property. What I want to start with is, is apartments and you know, why you might be choosing to go and buy an apartment. And if you are looking at an apartment, why might you choose a one, two or three bedroom? You know, if you're sitting on the fence between between them all, which which direction would you sort of be p- pointing most of your clients to go down? Um, I generally advise clients to go. I like to uh, get them in the middle ground when they're purchasing an apartment, and uh, and that's mainly a two bedroom apartment. I feel as though one bedroom apartment, you're limiting your kind of uh, you know your demographic in terms of the the type of renter. And I feel like when you go to the three bedrooms, I feel like you're entering a territory whereby um, it's suited for uh, people that might also have the option of of renting or, or, or living into homes um, and, and generally are, are generally suited for kind of downsizes um, or, 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 or just to really just to really dumb it down is just to, is for people that probably want a bit of a lifestyle change. But I feel like a safe investment, um, I like to go uh, towards leaning towards the two bedrooms because I feel like you can catch a bit of a uh, bit of both of that demographic that I've mentioned um, just just before, and I feel like it's just a safer way, um, that, uh, a safer way over time to see some growth. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, it's what, the way that I think about apartments is you're normally looking to get involved into an apartment because you want to be closer to CBDs. Uh, you want to be closer walking distance to train stations, amenity. You want to be a part of those sort of network effects, but be walkability is really, really important. And I also think that people tend towards apartments when they're when they're budget conscious. You know, they they're budget conscious or they're risk averse. So someone that is stepping into a one bedroom apartment normally is buying a one bedroom because they can't afford a two bedroom, or they're scared to step up to it, um, or they're looking at a, a apartments because you know. They are, they understand apartment living and they want to be close to CBDs and they want to have, you know, a, a double income, no kids, or they want to have, you know, uh, younger entrepreneurial or, or entre- uh, executives to be renting out that place. It's a very specific strategy um, that you can go and get a lot, a lot of rent, but typically you might suffer on the, uh, the, the growth side of things, but not always. Um, I think, Dom, from a from a renter's point of view as well, if we look at Sydney at the moment or the whole country at the moment with a two-week lockdown, 
one bed apartment renters, um, if you, you you sort of you hone yourself in on a single or a couple, like you can't really have a, a couple that maybe a baby, but they can't have a small child in a one bedroom. You look at a two bedroom, you can get a single that's on that can that can afford two bedrooms. One is an office. You get a couple that can afford a spare bedroom, and then you can also look at the market as you get a couple with a friend, or you even get two couples depending on a budget. I think the the span of which you can get looking at a two bedroom, and then to go on Sam's point, I think getting a three. I, I when you're looking in the city stuff, I think you you couple yourself, and now you're playing the game of terraces. So, for example, I live in a three-bedroom. We wouldn't live in a three-bedroom apartment. If we, if we're going to be paying the same rent for maybe a, a less rundown version of a, of a terrace house. We're going to be we're more steered towards that inner city still living. Whereas a two-bedroom, you've got two people and a couple. And now, as I said to my um, the point of the lockdown, you, you can have a spare room with an office. I think that's going to be the, the safest for your renters market. Where do you sit in all this, Pete? So I'll tell you what the, my answer is. It's a two-bedroom apartment, but I want to step back a little bit and take you on a bit of a journey and explain to you how I got there. When I first got into real estate, I entered real estate as an investment guy, not as a real estate guy, and I let numbers drive me primarily. I didn't think about the aesthetics. I didn't think about the functionality. I didn't think about all the things that we're talking about today. I looked at yields. I looked at growth, we'd walk into an open house, my wife would be so excited about the colors and the layout and I would be sitting on my phone calculating like a nerd and like a geek. But then as I started to invest and as we started to build our business, Dom, I started to appreciate the other things. I started to appreciate that with real estate, I'm buying an investment, but I'm not just selling to an investor in the future. I could be selling to an owner-occupier. An owner-occupier, it's very different to any other asset because if I buy a stock, I'm going to probably sell it to someone else that's looking to buy a stock. If I buy a bond, if I buy gold, with real estate, you have to think as an investor, but when you exit, you could be exiting to an owner-occupier. And so two-bedroom apartments, I think, are great because they provide the greatest number of potential buyers if I want to sell. I've got investors that are looking for yield, but I've also got genuine owner-occupiers who won't live in a house, but will live in an apartment. With one bedrooms, I'm limited. It's always a transition, and my pool of potential owner-occupiers is smaller. Three bedrooms, same. People grow out of it, they go and buy a house. But the two, for me, the two-bedroom apartment option is where I have the most potential buyers if I look to sell. Agreed. 100% agree with you. I mean, the exit is entirely different with real estate than with every other investment. You know, other people are buying investments as an investment where real estate, it's a home. And, you know, when you walk into the, the numbers got to make sense, but you do need to assess the investment as a home as well. And who's going to be buying it? Who's going to be renting it? Because for them, they don't care about your rental yield more often than not. And if they are, it could be a concern. Ideally, you want the person that buys it from you to be thinking with their heart, being completely emotional and just and, and spe- spending as much money as possible. So they're not buying it based on the yield. They're buying it based on what emotionally is provocative and what feels good. So I agree. I think a two-bedroom is the way to go. If you can jump up to the two-bed, go to that. 
um, and, and I wouldn't be overcapitalizing all too often on a three-bedroom unless there's a big value play there. There is this, Sam, you go, and then I'll touch on who I, why I think three-bedrooms are changing. Yeah, I just think also just a disclaimer there is that I'm not saying, we're not saying that one bedrooms don't perform. They actually, in fact, sometimes do. I've seen one larger size one bedrooms that have got, you know, a, a different kind of configuration that's a little bit more open um, that, you know, gives you a better return than just say two bedrooms with both in built-in wardrobes. So just because it does have two bedrooms, it doesn't necessarily mean it's more superior than say, a, a, a you know a, a nicely configured one bedroom um i know there's a lot of attributes what you know what makes it um, a good investment but just i just thought i'll throw it out there that generally my aim is two bedrooms because of the reasons we just discussed but generally um you know not not to really um you know uh to to write off one bedroom apartments no because one bedroom is a way to get in as well you know, a one bedroom serves a purpose. If you if your choice is nothing or a one bed, I'd go the one bed. Mm, I agree. And if it's a choice is a beautiful one bedroom with a thirty or square meter balcony, or if you're like Sam, I know that Sam's currently looking out towards the city. He's got panoramic views. That is a really nice one bedroom. You know, so again, that's the reason why real estate is entirely different. The numbers don't always mean everything. Yeah. So I just wanted to add. Um, Three bedrooms are changing because demographics are changing. And three-bedroom apartment traditionally has been to a family. You might have two children or you might be co-sharing or you might need that extra room or two. But what's happening is with Australia's aging demographics, there is a big, big downsizer market. Mm. And this is a market where a couple have adult children, they might have grandchildren, they've had a four or five bedroom house and then there's osteoarthritis, there's issues around health, they want to downsize into something that's functional, they have a lot of space, they want a guest room, they want to feel like they're living in a house yet they want the amenity and the convenience that come with apartment living. And so three-bedroom apartments, you have to view them as an investment only in an area where there is demand from downsizers. If people are selling houses and looking at getting into apartments, they're more likely uh, to downsize into a three-bedroom than a two-bedroom. And Would to you... add to that, sorry, Louis, but to add yeah. to that, you're, I think you're 100% right. A lot of those downsizer markets tend to be more blue-chip, high-quality areas where the price difference between the apartments and the houses is enormous. Mm. You know, it's it's the houses are normally three million dollars, and then or the townhouses or whatever. But the apartments are, you know, one one and a half. So when when you're seeing that as a trend, I hundred percent agree with you. Double Bay is one of those markets. You'd buy a three bedroom. Yeah, and not not having stairs is a is a big factor because you have hips and arthritis and and joints and all those things. So uh, it's becoming with Australia's aging demographics. I think it's 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 something to watch very closely. Louis, I think you were going to say something too, right? I was probably just going to say exactly what Dom said. Then, would you say two questions for you three? One, going back on what we said before, I think a, a listener uh, actually posted this question on one of the uh, Instagram stories, which I found really interesting. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. If you had the option. Say you've got six hundred thousand dollars, five hundred fifty thousand dollars, five hundred fifty grand, 
you've got a really nice one bed. It's got a really nice layout. It might have a really nice aspect, north northwest facing, northeast facing. It's got a, a much superior layout than a two bed, but the two beds the same price. It might be a little smaller. It might be configured badly. It might be south facing. And you've got the option of picking one and two. Which one do you go for? So this is one of those weekly toss-up questions. Um, can you just – so you're saying that you're spending the same amount of money for a one-bedroom or a two-bedroom? With a much And they're basically the same size, but the one's more superior layout, the other one isn't? Yes. I'll, I'll, I'll tell it off by saying there might be, say, a, a 30 grand difference. So the two beds two, two beds about 30 grand more, but a much inferior layout. How about size? Size matters in some cases. A, a, a touch bigger. So the two bedrooms a little bit bigger than the one? Yeah, a touch bigger. It's hard, mate, because it, it's it's anecdotal. Like Stuff like this is tough because uh, details matter. Mm, specific yeah. specifics matter, you know. You know, what, how bad is the layout? What's the bad layout? You mm. know, is there a balcony? How big is that balcony? You know, what direction? I know you're mentioning aspects. What suburb? It's mm. hard. I hate to sort of bounce around the question because, you know, a, a if it's, say, in a city, one bedroom may be fine. You know, it may be very appropriate because it's got an, a stunning view that, you know, not anyone has. But if mm. it's maybe, say, western suburbs, two bedrooms is way more important because mm. you're going to be getting the type of tenancy you're going to have are going to turn over. It's going to impact your rental return. Mm. You know, one bedroom in the city, you can give it to Sam for 800 bucks a week where the one bedroom in the Western suburbs, you're not going to rent it out for 800 bucks. You're maybe going to get 300 bucks. No, that makes sense. So there's a lot of factors that I, 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 I'm Apples making and more, yeah, I'm making it more confusing than it probably needs to be. What do you guys reckon? Um, I'm with you, Dom. I think the details do matter because they are, you know, in the same, say, complex, um, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like maybe the one bedroom with the larger space might suit an owner occupy, um, a little bit more of an emotional, um, you know, uh, you know, direction. Whereabouts, um, for maybe from a long term perspective, that second bedroom may be just, um, you know, a, a few points. Um, of a, you know, will give you the difference in return at a long, at a longer perspective. So, um, I think just from an investment mindset, I think I'm going to stick with the two bedrooms. Two bedroom for me. That's that's going back to what I originally said. I'm looking at the amount of competition when I sell, and if I have a choice, I go two bedroom. But as Dom said, if I don't have a choice, and it's like gold and silver, right? If it's cash. Mm-hmm. Or silver, give me silver. If it's gold or silver, give me gold. So if I've got the choice between a one and a two, I'd take the two. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's a good way to think about it. And you know, if we're going to be, if we're now moving, getting to something bigger, and we're looking at now townhouses and houses, how do these investments? How do you you guys think about townhouses and houses, and how do they how do clients start to weigh that up in their mind as part of their portfolio? You know, why would I go to a townhouses versus a house, or you know, what are the different merits that come with these two different styles of investing? 
And, and then also with that, are we buying three bedrooms or four bedrooms? How do we think about those? I'm just going to just say it, um, it, it very colloquially and, and it just very casually. So townhouses are this, right? Pros and cons, very quickly. Townhouses, uh, more spaces than apartments. They provide more privacy than apartments. Um, the, the townhouses can give you a little bit more value than apartments. Cons, sometimes with cons with townhouses, no individuality, which means... You might buy a set in a complex that might look like every single other one, other townhouse in the, um, you know, in the complex itself. Sometimes uh, you've got small land size, um, which might creep onto the fact that you might be able to afford a house if that's the direction you're going. And sometimes it's less space than a house. So pros and cons in a nutshell um, from a townhouse perspective. Um from a from a housing from if you want to buy a home the 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 pros is is that i guess um more space more outdoor space more flexibility in terms of what you can do with the space um you know cosmetically changes upgrades extra whatever it might be um the cons it's a bigger place means uh, uh more maintenance um you know it's it's more expensive um, and there's more factors that go into buying a home um, as an investment than a townhouse. But when you say that, you've been pretty hot and heavy recently on townhouses, over houses, particularly in Melbourne. Yeah. And, and why why have you thought that they've made such a good investment? Well, because I, some of the townies you looked at are, are you know, eight hundred and fifty thousand versus houses out where you could have spent five or six hundred thousand. Like. How, how have you justified that in your mind as an investment? Well, for me, it's about affordability and growth. So if I'm tapping into a market where homes are eight, 900,000 and I still have the opportunity to buy something at 600, 650,000, that means for me automatically that there will be a cat and mouse um, and eventually they'll catch up together later on down, you know, in your investment journey. So that's how I, that's how I would, um, I would see it as a, as a, a long-term growth strategy when you're investing in a townhouse. Yes, less value, but yes, it's on price point and you get the best of both worlds with apartments and homes. What do you mean by that? Are you saying that the townhouses you've been working on, uh, uh, it's in an area where the houses are much more expensive oh, than the townhouse? Well, yeah. Cat well, house? well, definitely. So homes are one and a half, two million dollars and you could probably buy um, a townhouse 900k 800,000 these are the ones that I've specifically worked on so this gives people the opportunity to still get the amenity of a of a good area but not um fork out um you know of what the suburb um requires for you to actually live there um you know from a from a housing um affordability perspective I see so you're getting access to a premium market at you know a discount to what the the houses are. That's correct, and you get what you pay for at the end of the day. Um, but it, but but I, I feel like when people want something more than you know uh, you, you know they'll make do. They'll they'll compromise in space and they'll compromise in certain things as long as they're getting into you know a, a suburb or a market that's that's um um that's got good growth potential or. It's got, you know, great amenity for family or whatever your needs are. How does it fit into your mind, Pete? How, how do, you know, we've been talking about townhouses quite a bit. How, how do they fit into your mind? Like typically when you're looking at, 
how would you be thinking about putting a townhouse or why would you consider a townhouse in one of your investments? Like where's the rationale and where would you normally be putting that? Yeah, it's a great point. And to me, it comes down to location. So mm. I think it matters if I'm trying to buy into uh, a central hub, a central business district, if I want my children to go to a particular school, if me and my partner are you know, looking for access to work and things like that and we live this lifestyle that a lot of the time we're outside of the house, I don't necessarily want to mow the lawns or do those big barbecues, then a townhouse is perfect. If if that is the type of clientele and they are the demographics, then townhouses make sense. Conversely, if you have people that want land, that want to be away from the hustle and bustle, they want to have space, they might want to have a hobby where they work on a car or a boat or grow vegetables um, and they want that excess land, then I think a townhouse doesn't work in that area. It works, but it doesn't work as well. So you really need to know your markets. And I think townhouses generally work in areas that are quite dense. If you go to Europe, for example, if you go to London, houses don't really exist in the same way we think of houses. Townhouse is is a house. Um, and as, as our cities evolve, uh, as, as these centres that we live in grow and become more dense, townhouses will become houses and the suburban house will only be something that you get out. So you have to play around that and you have to really, um, again, if I buy this, who's going to rent it? How much income growth can I get? How often can I put up my rent? How does my rent change? And who is going to buy it? Is it someone that is buying it because they can't afford a house or someone that's buying it because they prefer to live in this type of dwelling? And, Louis, you've been kind of a bit different to all of that. Like you, you've you've – done a little bit of townhouse investing but you've also done a lot of houses uh you know investing in houses where is where's your mind sort of sat in between all of that how how's this come into play with your with your clients i think um i think most of the the key points have been said by peter and sam but i will uh, i will say and i want to actually ask a question as well i grew up in sydney sam grew up in melbourne and there is such a strong appetite for townhouses from a melbourne side of things and Sydney, I just don't think have, have have grabbed onto it as yet. And I wonder if that appetite will increase over, say, the next five to ten years, as what Peter said, that we start to realise that it, once we the density increases and we and we look for that more space and it, it becomes more of a uh, identified home rather than a, a town home itself. But to your, to your question, Dom, I think uh, what Peter and Sam said, if you're looking for space, and you don't want to live in an apartment, and you can you can afford something a little bit uh, a little bit more expensive, but not be having such a distance, say thirty k's from the CBD, so you can be within ten, and you're still in striking distance of a really nice a really nice asset that's got you know three or four bedrooms. Um, I've always been under under the impression that if I can get a home, I'm going to choose that over over a townhouse, and that's why I think the the houses and it, it's very uh, it's a very uh, older style generational, I think that I've been pushed on. If you can get a house, no matter if it's 35 or 40 minutes out of the CBD, it's going to be better than something that's, uh, say, 10 to 15, 20 minutes out of the CBD versus the townhome. But again, I think they they go almost hand in hand now, and we're seeing that in the uh, in the Victorian market especially. Well, I can answer your question. And over the past 
12 to 24 months, we've seen a huge increase in the amount of DA approvals mm. for uh, medium density. So apartments, the, the approvals have come off quite a lot and we've seen a, a, a huge amount, I think it's like a 50% increase in the amount of townhouses that are coming into the market. And many of the bigger developers have noticed that they're skewing their DAs and building more of them because people are demanding it. And I think it's it's coming back to what Peter's saying, where a townhouse gives you access to areas that you otherwise wouldn't be able to get access to. Mm. It's the government deliberately called it the missing middle strategy, where they've identified that in Australia, where we went from a suburban city where it's quarter acre blocks to now we're urbanizing much more dense. But we went from just quarter acre blocks to then uh, high rise and there was nothing in the middle to capture, you know, this this booming younger sort of demographic. People mm. like myself, that me and Charlotte, we want a little backyard. I don't want it to, too big. I do want to have kids one day. So I want to be close to the action. I want all my cafes, bars, restaurants, but I also want a bit of a yard. I don't want someone living above or below me. I want a little bit of privacy. So it kind of... It ticks all the little boxes that I need as a as an owner occupier or as a person that even would rent that space out. And then I understand what Peter's saying as well, because you know, going into a house and what you're saying, there's this deep emotional thing that Australians have mm. where they just want a backyard. Charlotte is always harping on about having a lawn for some reason. She wants a front yard and a backyard because it's the way she wants it. And I know that there's a lot of Aussies out there that want to park their bike, their jet ski, you know, they want to kick a soccer ball. There's this old feeling that comes with that. And I want to add to that that when you go and get, when you target a property that's got three or four bedrooms, you're now targeting a demographic that's probably uh, going to be family or homemakers. And in my, my experience, when you go after homemakers or you go after families, they tend to be less transient. And what I mean by that is if if Peter signs a lease now, he's got three kids, he's he's less likely to move houses because his his kids are all enrolled in school locally. He's got a heap of stuff that he doesn't want to move because there's three kids and you don't want disruption in your household. Maybe, Peter, you can speak more to this than I can, but a family is a strong unit that doesn't want to move as often as, say, Sam because he can pack up his shit and move in a minute. 100%. And we went through that last year. Uh, so we moved last year and it wasn't a very enjoyable experience and I'm sure it, it, it isn't. And a lot of the things we've spoken about are, are really important and are really true. There's one thing I think I'll also mention is what I look for myself is the earnings power or the income power of the people living, not just the tenants but the owner-occupiers. And again, why I think um, inner city townhouses might be better long-term capital growth than outer city land. There's this misconception, land goes up, blah, 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 get as much more land. However, if I'm, if I'm investing in a townhouse that's close to town and the people that are living in it um, as my tenants, uh, they are dual income professionals, they are exposed to growth in the economy. So if the economy is growing at 5%, they're probably in jobs if they're working at Google or Deloitte or for the big banks. Their incomes are going to grow more than the, the standard or the average. And so when their incomes grow, they're able to pay more rent, but they will also want to stay in that network that they're used to 
uh, because of the it, things you said, Dom, like schools and, and whatever it is, it might, you know, art and, and, and all those things that are important to people. When they come into the market to buy, they're going to have a lot of firepower. They're going to have strong incomes and they're going to have the capacity to pay 20 or 30% more than maybe people in the outer suburbs that have bigger families, might have one or two incomes, and they're, they're generally far further away you are from the economic center, the less likely your income is to exceed the economic growth of the economy. Bit technical, but in a nutshell, follow the salaries because they will usually dictate where the price growth is in real estate. Oh, you're a thousand percent right. And this is why we look at, you know, gentrification. You look at Redfern, it's one of the fastest moving suburbs and our offices in Redfern, you can see it changing. It's because as you've just said, the people that are renting there, they've you've got, you know, Darlinghurst, Surrey Hills, you know, Erskineville's the other way. You've got all of these areas which is right on the C B D. You've got the industrial park nearby, you've got people that are earning tremendous incomes. And actually, this is probably another good example. I'm picking on Sam today. But Sam refused to move outside of Potts Point. You know, his <laughs> friends, his family, his his ecosystem was Potts Point. I'm like, hey, what about you just go over one suburb to the city? He's like, no, my friends, my, fam- my, my friends, everything's here. So I'll pay a premium to be exactly where I want to be and – you know, people like Sam have tremendous earning potential and it's his friends, his network, that, that this is a culture and a group of people that will pay more for rent that are happy to, you know, spend. I know one of your friends just bought a house there locally or an apartment there locally. They'll pay crazy prices because they want the culture. They want to be a part of this ecosystem. Have I, have I said the wrong thing there, Sam? No, sorry. Just let everyone know where I live. It's fine. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's absolutely right. But to me, that, that's a lifestyle decision because I want to be in walking distance to certain things, to you know, to to you know, to certain uh, people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but but no way means is that an investment decision. I have to say because you do tend to overpay in in, in premium areas as such. But all these single income, no kids, and double income, no kids is the general demographic of areas of such, and that's why they ask. For stupid amounts of rent, and that's why stupid people pay it. I was gonna say it like myself. <laughs> so, so gents, I think that was a pretty good breakdown. There's heaps and heaps of different ways that we could cut this up, but you know, we want to launch a new segment this week, and we've kind of already to- uh, touched on it. It's called the weekly toss up. I don't know if that's the right language, or maybe we've got to come up with another name. But this is basically where we're going to compare. Two different things, and and we've kind of done that a lot, as I've said. But you know, if we're going to, we cop it all the time. What are we choosing? A house or an apartment? Let's let's quickly debate the the two of them. We, we, every single one of our clients asks it, so you know, maybe I'll kick it off, and then we can go around um, houses versus an apartments. I think that if you are a growth orientated investor then typically you want to go for houses over apartments because historically they've grown by about one, one and a half percent more than apartments. But if you're happy to go and pay down that asset, get a higher income, then you want to go apartments because again, that's had historically higher yields. And the other reason why I go an apartment maybe over a house is just proximity because a lot of our investors may want to buy close to where they live or they don't want to take 
a big gamble, you can afford to buy an apartment in premium areas where houses, you're going to be looking in areas you probably haven't heard of. Whereas, you know, so I think houses are a bit more of an, a, a growth orientated strategy. It's a bit more aggressive. And I think that houses, apartments are a bit more conservative, uh, less growth orientated, a bit more of a, a steady first step. What do you I'm, think, Louis? I'm going to agree with you, John. I won't add anything to that because that's exactly how I think. Yeah, I'm, I'm much the same. The only thing that I would, the only thing that I'd be weary of, <clears throat> weary of, is that not to buy an apartment. The only thing that I'll probably most uh, research and, and look into is supply levels. Just be so be so wary of supply levels. If 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 you think that there there's a demand for an apartment, I think it's fantastic. But I don't think you can get. I don't think you can go wrong with buying a house, even if there may be a little oversupply of an area. I think a house is is a bit safe from that point, and I think you got to be really careful of buying, you know, seeing a tower in Sydney and seeing four hundred vacancies and going, yeah, that'd be great. Well, when's my tenant going to come? You know, but in saying that, to to sort of contradict my point. I think that uh, what you said is right, Don. If you are very particular what what apartment you buy and where it is, it can do as uh, just as well as a house. Where do you sit on this this debate, Pete? Apartments, houses. How do you think about it? One of the things I've realised is I'm very different. I guess to I'm aware of my difference, and I'm aware that I'm an ambitious investor, and I want more. And when I think about my real estate portfolio, I want to continue to grow it. There are a lot of other people that are just happy having one or two uh, and they just want and, and they're content with that. And, and I find that very, very, I find that very noble uh, to be content with having one or two investment properties. For me, maybe it's an intellectual thing. Maybe it's just, you know, an ambition that I have. I want to grow my portfolio exponentially into the future. And to do that, that's my lane. That's my game. That's what I want to do. To do that, apartments are much easier than houses because my buy-in is less. I have strata, which I love, and that's a that's an episode we have to do. Why we love strata? Most people hate it. I love it, and um, my asset is managed continuously by someone else, and I have multiple streams of income. If we have a pandemic like we ha- like we're in now. If something happens into the future, I'd rather have multiple sources of income than all my eggs in one basket. And so a good quality apartment is not easy to come by, but that's what we do well. That's what we find. And and I believe that if you're an ambitious investor, that'll work better. I love Strata. I love when you say that <laughs> because it pisses people off. And I think it is an episode that we, we should definitely dive into. Sam just sent me a private message. You need to run away for a minute. So, Sam, do you just want to dash off? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so while Sam's away, let's jump into the next little piece here. Um, Jenny yesterday put up some... Uh, by the way, all of you listening, if you're not following us on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram, make sure you jump on. It's at Be Wealthy. Um, and... She recently posted some some uh, uh, query out to all of you saying, hey, we're going to be doing our listener questions. So the questions that we got back were, um, one person here said they're thinking of investing in a third property. 
Should I get a high yield investment or one that will give me long-term capital gains? Pete, what do you think? Should this person that's got a third property or going for their third property go for a yield or go for capital gains? By the way, I just want to preface this, everybody. This is not financial advice. Um, <laughs> we don't have an AFSL. We're not accountants, financial planners. This is our personal opinion. We're talking about investments because this is how we think and do things. I think if you buy an asset that produces income consistently and has the ability to grow that income, what I mean by that, a lot of people get sucked into a 5 or a 6% yield, which looks good but doesn't grow. And sometimes you can go and buy a unit in Bondi that's on a 2% yield, but in you know 10 years' time, it becomes a 6 or a 7% yield because Bondi is a hot spot. It's hip. People pay more rent. So if I can buy an investment that gives me a good yield today and that yield is going to grow into the future, I'll take that over capital growth because the capital growth should come anyways. If the capital growth ain't coming, then there's something wrong with my income. So income is what pays the bills. It's what feeds my family. And capital growth is only a thing if I decide to sell. I don't want to sell. So income for me is is top of list. Before we go to the guys, I want to say I really like what you said there, income growth. So you, to everybody out there, you can get income and you can get capital growth. It, you should be getting capital growth. Um, but I love what Peter said, income growth, because as you said, that Bondi apartment only may only be 2% yield, but in time, it might be 6% on the original investment. Yeah. Whereas if you're looking at other areas, it may not get any income growth and you're sitting on this stagnant investment. 100%. I don't want to hijack this segment, but I want to add something I learned as a stock analyst. So previous to real estate, I used to analyze stocks and I learned this from very experienced fund managers. They were going and investing in things like Domino's Pizza, for example, and paying high premiums, high multiples. And it looked silly. Why would you buy Domino's as opposed to buying Woolworths? Why would you pay for all these high growth companies? Because the bet was that the income they were generating was going to grow. And in real estate, it's the same. If you back an area where the income is going to grow, the capital growth will come. So focus on not just your yield, but the growth in yield in the future. Love it. Sam, what do you, this person, this is a, a client question. Yeah. Did you get, yeah, income I, I, or I did. yield I did. or growth? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree and I'm going to also just, uh, just state my opinion. I just feel as though if your strategy is solely relying on a passive income on your property portfolio, then I mean uh, a high-yielding property is definitely um, is de is definitely the strategy to go. But for me, the way I see it is that the capital growth in the long term, especially within Australia, you know, property cycling, you know, doubling every seven eight years um, on on average, etc. I feel as though growth in the long term perspective is 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 going to be a lot more important than you relying on an income, say, today and relying on the growth of that income by increments of, you know, 0.51% in the next one year and two years, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, my personal strategy is I rely on, on growth. I rely on areas that 
that are, that are growing, um, that, that have proven to grow, um, and, and bank on the fact that they'll continuously have that demand there um, um, in the future. So um, as much as a, a high yield is, 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 is luring, I feel as though growth is something that um, is, 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 is pivot to any kind of good investment. I like that you, you mentioned strategy because Mr. Person that gave us his question, we don't know what your risk appetite's like. We don't know what your first two investments are. We don't know what your strategy is. So that next investment, we don't know mm. what you're actually after. You know, So we don't even know if you can buy this third investment. You might need to go get something smaller that has an income because of the, your, your servicing may be shot. Who knows? Louis? To, to finish the point, I think that I think we've got to get used to in this country and in this market as we as we progress into the future that yields are going to sharpen. Like we used to see, the yields are continually sharpening, and they're going to sharpen on mainly a lot of economic reasons that we we'll, we can go into later in, in the different episodes. But everyone, it, you know, last year five a five percent yield was, or even two years ago a five percent yield. You didn't really blink an eye. Like, oh, it's five percent. It's a nice yield. It seems like this year you see a four percent yield in a property that's in a at a really nice area, or three and a half percent yield. You go, shit, that's awesome, you know. And so, whereas before we saw ten percent yields, eight percent yields in, in different asset classes across commercial, industrial properties, and, and then into residential properties, have always been a bit lower. But I think we've got to get used to the idea of yield sharpening. So, to my point, I think. If you've got a nice yield that's not that has room uh, for an asset to grow in the future, I think that would be my my preference. I don't mind if it's three percent and it's not pulling home a lot of money at the front, but if it, as to what Peter said, as it has, if it has room to grow, then I think that's where you should be ideally looking at rather than something say six percent. It might look tasty on paper in the first year. But in, in five years' time, if you were if you were looking at then you, you start to think, well, this this property that I've bought hasn't really done anything for me. That's a really, really good point. We had a, one of Peter's friends who's a fund manager, I can't name names, but they look after like forty billion dollars worth of funds or something. And he talks about the risk-free return. So two percent is a risk-free return on your cash, roughly. And he mentioned that you know the market is maturing, as you just said, and Lou, you came out of commercial site sales where before people were looking at an income-producing asset and it had to be six, seven, eight percent, where industrial assets now are selling at three percent or four percent. And I look at residential; we can go and get a really good asset that's yielding four, four and a half percent. So, and it's going to grow. So. What does Tippy say? Porque no las dos? Why not both? You know, why not go for something that's got a good enough yield where you're going to pay your uh, pay your mortgage, service your interests, put a little bit of money in your pocket, but you can see that there's going to be a strong growth uh, future for growth, and it just comes down to what your expectations are on that growth. Do you want it to be one year, two years, or are you happy to go for ten years? Mm. Because if you're patient enough and you pick the right investment. If the income will service the the debt and will service all the expenses and you can wait, there's something special about that, especially for some of these these investors that are a bit more conservative. They want to pay their debt down. There are, there are opportunities now for you to go and pay down that debt over 15 years and have an unencumbered asset. So if you're 30 and you do that, 
by 45, you can have an unencumbered asset. And I think that's a pretty good strategy as well. So Mr. Client, it just depends on what your strategy is. It depends on uh, what your budget is. It also depends on what your, you know, your income and what your current circumstance looks like. I, ho- I hope that's been helpful to you out there and to all the other listeners that are, are wondering that question. Okay, so fellas, I've got um, a, a another segment. Now, this part is, uh, you know, tips and predictions. Um, let's go around the table starting with Louis and mm. talk about any hints or tips that you have for our clients this week. What what do you want to leave on the table for them? I will make mine my, my, my very quick. Six months ago, I had we had people buying what was considered to be a bad investment, uh, a a beautiful Glenfield townhouse. Six months down the track, people are looking at that asset saying, why didn't they buy it six months ago? And we've gone around this cycle over and over and over again when people get to a, a stage of six months' time and they go, why didn't, I, why didn't I buy that asset I didn't like six months ago? And now we're looking at something less. Now, to say that uh, we, we've... The Glenfield project we, we had before is now gone, all, all done and dusted, all sold, and surrounding suburbs are selling 30 to 40K more. So my tip is what you're looking at now, try and see try and see what it's going to be like just in six months' time and then even five years down the track. Don't look at it what it looks like today. I like that advice. You know, everything – I always say that people always think that, uh, you know, it's always expensive. You never look around and say, hey, it's cheap. Mm. And you've just got to keep on managing your expectations up. So, yeah, that's that's a good point. Sammy, what do you think? What's your tip or prediction for the week? Uh, my, my prediction is, is that or my tip is is that if you're waiting for this market to cool off for you to buy, um, uh, I've been in the industry for over 12 years and every year someone, ever, I was hearing it nonstop that this is the year that, that property is going to burst and I'm still waiting for the big bubble to happen for everything to crap itself and to say, Oh my God, property is not the way to go down. So if you're still waiting for that property to burst, (laughs) my advice would be, um, is to, um, you know, uh, stop resting on your laurels and get up and make a decision and get into the market. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Pete, what what do you think? King Esho, what what, what pearls of wisdom? <laughs> I wish it's wisdom, uh, but what it, what's <laughs> going through what's going through my mind at the moment is the Delta variant is a serious thing, and as much as all of us want to dismiss COVID and and look forward and say it's behind us and and let's just move on, it's very frustrating to to accept the fact that there is another hurdle and a stumbling block and there might be more in the future and so uh, my prediction is that we're not out of it yet I'm not a health expert I'm just somebody that's reading and, and watching and to Sam's point I think what we could see is we could see a slowdown and that's welcome because that's an opportunity to buy as Louis said so if we do have more lockdowns and the momentum does start to fizzle out a little bit it's an opportunity to use a short-term slowdown to make a good long-term investment 
and you want to you make money in real estate when you buy not when you sell and so a good piece of real estate ain't getting cheap but if it gives me more access and it means um, I can pounce and I have less competition then I need to take that up so Delta I think we're going to hear more about it in the next few months in the next few weeks I think lockdowns are here to stay for a little bit longer unfortunately um, but this is an opportunity for us. 100% agree. Um, you know, this reminds me of, of when the first time we got locked up and we went into a, a lockdown. You know, I noticed that some of my lazier quality started to come out. I started getting out of bed a little bit later, sort of training not as hard. I started pushing off doing my finances and delaying all the things that I didn't, that I wanted to do, but I didn't really need to do and investing in property is one of those things it's a discretionary thing where you don't need to do it you know you should Mm. and you want to but you could always delay it you could always kick it down the road and you can use covid you can use lockdown as as an excuse for inaction or you can use it as an opportunity the fact that there's less people out there, the fact that there's less people out on the road and um, there's less people at the auctions and, you know, there's less activity means it is an opportunity for all of you out there to, to pounce. You do need to be brave and you do need to, you know, muster energy and recruit uh, any internal, you know, energy that you can to get the, the job done. But it can be done. You know, I, I really implore all of you out there that are sitting on the fence to go and lean on people around you. You guys now have got clients that are buying interstate and haven't seen it yet. They're taking a punt, but we've 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 put mechanisms in place to protect them in the contract. We've created, you know, uh, subject to finance clauses. We've done all the different things to protect our clients. And I really think that this is an opportunity. As Louis saying, six months ago, the deals, the best deals are six months ago or twelve months ago. So I really don't want clients to miss out on these opportunities that are in the market to just pounce on them, be brave, work with the people that are around you because we are here to protect and serve your interests. Um, I hope that all of you out there listening have got some little pearls of wisdom out of Peter, Sam and Louie today. If you liked it, please like it, subscribe and pass it on to all of your friends. Gentlemen, thank you very much. I really, really do appreciate the time that you guys put into these podcasts and I think that um, we're, we're, we're helping some people out there. So we're going to keep on doing it until we're blue in the face. Thanks, Tom. Okay. It's, me. it's, been, good to be it's been good to be with you guys. Um, I'll remind people one more thing. Wealthy Academy is live. Jump in there. And um, if Ooh. you love Tom in this podcast, you're going to love what he's prepared for you in Academy. So. <laughs> Holy shit. Make sure. All right, catch you all later. Sign up. See you guys.